MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is a, the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs. Some of our very own staff members are DMVR are taking MSU Denver online classes this summer from Harrison Wind to Ali Monroy. They're both getting in there. I've been checking stuff out online. Uh, go online, check it out for yourself. It's convenient. You can work uh, your job while taking classes on your own schedule um, in your free time um, and support them. And uh, yeah, check it out. Better yourself as they make things better for us. We are the DMVR Draft Podcast presented by DraftKings. Um, go to DraftKings. We've got Justin Michael, who uh, we had a we had a little bit of a a little bit. We went against each other on the pregame, Justin. Uh, you had the under rivalry game. You said it's going to be tight. I said the path for CSU to victory is the over. Boom, CSU victory over hits. You've told me in private that was fluky though. Hey, like I, I don't want to, I don't want to throw stones or you, you know, when you're right, you're right. And you were right. You are the betting expert. I am, wow. you know, I'm, I'm still a rookie when it comes to betting and I got <laughs> put in my place last night, but I will say, I also said on the pregame show that if the over hits, it's going to be because something happens like a couple of turnovers, a pick six, or because CSU gets a passing game going probably to Trey McBride, all of those things ended up happening. So yeah, I was wrong about, you know, the points by about three, but it happened. I sweated that fourth quarter out. We are also joined by Jake Schwanitz here, draft pod extraordinaire. How are you doing, Jake? Doing well, man. Uh, Excited to talk. Finally, we get the Pac-12 back. We're finally Ooh. full steam ahead, boys. It's just like we're back in September and nothing's wrong, but it's just not quite the same. It's true. It's week 10, but I feel more and more ready for this college football season like no other. But Jake, you're recovering all right from that Michigan State uh, upset. I told you a couple of weeks ago, man, with this, yeah. these Michigan Wolverines, you just don't know what to expect. And I'm, I don't know. I can't even say I'm disappointed at this point. It's just Michigan football. Yeah, you ain't wrong. And then, uh, Henry Chisholm, of course, here with us. Hank, I've got some FCS questions for you today. And, uh, like your, your knowledge on the PAC 12, uh, is really going to have to shine. So it's a big day for you. We're asking a lot of you. I hope you're up to the task, my friend. Well, the teams I was uh, really excited to talk about have all had their games canceled today. So, so it's been kind of disappointing. But uh, uh -huh. there's still plenty of other good football that's going to happen. We can talk about that, too. Absolutely, yes. And, it, it, you know, it might not be the full, full slate, but I'll take as much of the slate as we can get. It's a lot better than what we had a while back. But let's rewind for a second back to Justin, because we've already had some great football. Um, 
you know, one of the great rivalries in college football here in the region with CSU pulling off the dub, Justin, against Wyoming. Really entertaining game. Um, and this is the draft pod. We're here to talk about Trey McBride, CSU's uh, stud tight end who really shined last night. That was a matchup we featured in the pregame show, and it really proved out in the Rams' advantage. Um, what makes McBride so special, and what what's the buzz you're hearing about where he could go? Trey, you know, to use a, a cliche, is just a football guy, and you know, he's one of those dudes when you watch him, he never takes a playoff. He's he's obviously a a really dynamic receiving threat, mm-hmm. and, and that's been on display over the last two games, three touchdown receptions, all of 20 yards or more. He's just such a, a defensive mismatch. Yeah. Way too big for, you know, a cornerback. Still too athletic, too strong for, for you know, even a lot of linebackers. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really an interesting situation trying to cover him. Last night he was a big, big factor run blocking, which he always is. He's one of those dudes that's really chippy. Mm-hmm. Uh, might actually get you a 15-yard penalty every now and then because he's so chippy. But you'll take it. You know, you, you have you no bet. problem with a guy like Trey McBride, especially just with how hard he plays. You know, as far as the buzz goes, it's, it's been evident since day one that this dude's going to play at the next level. I mean, he has all the skills. He impresses in interviews. He's just a freak athlete. You know, like I said, football guy, everything that you want. Yeah. Um, I, I asked this scout point blank, you know, where do you see Trey McBride going? And he told me he doesn't see him, you know, escaping the third round. That kind of is, and that's just where I've always seen him going. I always kind of expected early third round-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might might surprise some people, but, you know, even yeah. Dalton King at a, at a Virginia Tech last year, <laughs> it, it remind, you know, if you win people over, you'll go early. And I think that's what Trey's going to do. Yeah, and I was telling you, if, if this wasn't the otherworldly tight end class that it already is shaping up to be with Kyle yeah. Pitts and uh, Freemuth and Brevin Jordan, who we really like out of Miami. Um, you know, I like the kid at Boston College long. Uh, there's the, the Iowa State guy. I mean, it, it's a deep. I, I like the Utah kid who I'm disappointed we don't get to see this week. Um, so it's a loaded tight end class compared to the really weak tight end class we had last year. If this was a weak tight end class, like it was a year ago, Trey probably is a top 50 talent because there's all that depth at the position. Only so many teams need a tight end and it's so pressing. They need it at a high end to where, you know, you can hedge your bets and say day two, but I think he's an interesting discussion with Jordan guys. um, The Miami kid, because similar mismatches in the passing game, similar size Trey has, that dog in him as a blocker that's going to get teams really, really intrigued. He's as complete as, as anyone in the game. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I know that there are, there are some really, really great tight ends coming out this year. And it, it's really tough to pass up on a guy like Pitts, especially seeing what he's doing against SEC defenses. And I mean, just the receiving threat that he brings, but there is something to say about being a complete tight end, being that, you know, Kittle type, that guy that, is going to go out there and just impact every single aspect of the game. Those kind of dudes are, they're undervalued. And I think Trey is going to, he's going to flash on tape. You know, he might not be getting watched all the time in these national games, like the guys at Florida, you know, Iowa state, some of these other guys you mentioned, but 
you know, if you, if you go and you, and you win over in the interview process, I, I really don't think it's going to matter all that much. Yeah. Kittle's a guy he, if I was to make a comp, obviously an ambitious one, um, but stylistically that's who he reminds me of. Of course, Kittle only goes in the fourth. I mean, we forget about that now. Um, but you know, that's a guy I was saying, oh, light in the pants, maybe a little too one dimensional, but he really, he probably went higher than I would have expected even because he ran really fast. What do you think Trey might run, um, in a hypothetical 40? He moves pretty well. You know, I, yeah, I, I, I don't think he's going to, you know, run a four, four or anything, obviously, but I, I could see a situation where he runs potentially a four five, probably more like a four, six. Yeah. I mean, four, six those. That's fire, man. I was just looking up some stats. Um, you, go around. Everyone guess. Don't look it up. What Alvin Kamara ran in the 40. Who, who has made the NFL into a video game? I remind you. Low four, five, four, five, seven ish. Okay. Four, four. five, four. Oh, my bad. I'll say four, five, three. Yeah, uh, Jake wins. It was a four, five, six. Oh, wow. Uh, so a four, six for Trey McBride would be fire, kids. Um, so, like, that would be insane. No, he's a really intriguing tight end in this class, man. And, you know, interesting, he'd opted out, then opted back in. CSU has had another opt out in a terrific wide receiver, Warren Jackson, who's been on the scene for a minute now since what he lit up. Um, Alabama with a, a touchdown as just a freshman. Is that right, Justin? Um, yeah, true freshman. If we were to stack their draft stocks against each other, put you on the spot, who goes higher? Warren Jackson in an even deeper wide receiver class, or is it Trey McBride? I think it could potentially be Trey McBride. And I think crazy? a lot of that is just given, you know, like you said, it is such a deep wide receiver class. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I think Warren's going to get a chance to flash at the senior bowl. So it, it, it is going to be a situation where we will see him again. And I think that's going to help his draft stock, mm-hmm. but out of sight, out of mind, you know, there's a lot of people playing and I, you know, I, I think he's already proven that he's an NFL guy, but he, you know, he, he wasn't at in Ohio state, you know, you're not Joey yeah. Bosa. Everybody's not talking about you around the country year round, not playing. That does hurt you. Whereas Trey McBride right now, He's, you know, the talk of the town. He's out here balling. He's got, mm-hmm. you know, Joel Dreesen tweeting about him. Matt McChesney, a buff, tweeted that he's the most complete tight end in the country. So that's just, Crazy. you know, all that stuff that helps you out, just getting that exposure, getting that attention. I think that's really going to benefit Trey. Yeah. Well, and that statistical production, among other tight ends in the country, is really going to stand out. And he's from a football <laughs> family, you know. I mean, the, he just checks off so many boxes. He's going to have coaches enamored. So anyways, glad we could talk about that. Trey McBride, one of the most exciting local prospects we have. You know, our Ryan Koningsberg to, to finish it up um, in our company Slack was saying if Kubiak was still at the Broncos and we know how strong that Kubiak connection at the Rams program was, McBride would be a Bronco easy. I don't I don't know. I, I thought that was a an astute analysis at the time. Trey's going to go way too too high for that Kubiak connection to mean enough and, and sway him towards the Broncos. Um, Justin, I know you got a, you're working on, on little sleep and you've got a bunch of post game stuff you're still working on and what have you. 
but you watch a lot of college football. Let's get into our updated Heisman lists. Um, who are your guys on your watch list right now? And um, if you had to predict, who are your finalists? Oh, man. I feel a little bit like a homer at the moment because I, I, I do got to go to Alabama guys and, and Mac Jones and Devonta Smith. I I just think their production right now, it, I'm not saying they would both be finalists, but if we're talking about guys that are in the conversation for the Heisman, I think you got to put both of those guys. Uh, Pitts at Florida obviously comes to mind. I will say the the lack of team success could hurt Florida, especially you know if they don't even end up making the SEC title game or something like that. Not always, but you know he's a tight end, and it's a it's a quarterback you know award traditionally. Yeah. So those are a couple of guys that come to mind. Um, I do think. Um, oh my God, I'm drawing a Ohio State quarterback. Justin Fields. Just, yeah, my sorry guys, I got like two hours with Justin Fields. Um, I think he's you know firmly in the conversation. I know they've only played a couple games. It's early, but just seeing what he's done, looking how effortlessly he's made it look. I think he's going to continue to impress. So right now, finalist wise, I'm, I would say I'm pretty confident on Fields and Mac Jones. And uh, that, that's probably who I would lean. What do you guys think? Well, another Alabama guy that I would like to throw in is Najee Harris. I think he's been spectacular this season in all facets of the game. I mean, especially yeah. as a receiving back, yeah. he's been Great super point. impressive. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think you mentioned Zach Wilson. He's definitely got to be in that conversation. Yeah. He is just so fun to watch week in and week out. Um, and then Justin Fields, what a game on Saturday from him. You know, Nebraska, the Nebraska game was sort of underwhelming uh, in some senses, even though he did go 20-21. Uh, he put any criticism to bed this week with a spectacular showing against Penn State. Um, ball placement, just the type of throws he was making were just otherworldly. And it sucks that Trevor Lawrence is having to deal with COVID now because he was firmly in this conversation. Um, But yeah, all those guys that Justin said firmly in it, it's going to be interesting to see how many they bring uh, if they do have a Heisman ceremony this year. But uh, if Mm. they do have a ceremony, I mean, it could potentially be like a really deep, like five man uh, finalist field. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of separation um, is created. Hank, who would you have on that list? I think as of right now, I'd still have Trevor Lawrence number one. But that's going to change. Like, he's yeah. going to miss another game. And, and so I think by the time he comes back, he's going to have some work to do to get back up to the top three. Um, I'd probably put Mac Jones right behind him. Uh, just because we haven't seen enough of Justin Fields yet. But that's what's so weird about this season is everybody's working on a different timeline. You know, uh, we're going to see Keaton Slovis, for example, for the first time uh, tomorrow. And he's somebody who, before the season, I would have said should be in that conversation of guys who have the the weapons around them and also the talent to put up Heisman type of numbers. And so as of right now, it's kind of tough to put people in order. But I do think you have to go Mac Jones first. Um, well, I mean, depending on Trevor Lawrence, what you want to do with him with COVID. Um, but then Justin Fields and Zach Wilson is right there with, or right there at number three for me. Yeah. Um, 
couple omissions, you know, the Big 12 is omitted from this because they're not going to have a team that's going to rank highly enough to warrant a Heisman consideration. So Ellinger's had his moments, but Texas is a, a dumpster fire. Tillon Wallace prospect wise had an otherworldly performance last week and has had his moments as has Chuba. Oklahoma state though, just blew any chance of a wide receiver or running back, which is already a long shot, um, you know, making any sort of real Heisman push. Um, and you know, Ian book, <laughs> I'm not an Ian book believer. I talk trash about him constantly, but they do play Clemson without Trevor Lawrence. If he can somehow pull that off and uh, keep Notre Dame who quietly it, with this ACC only schedule is really looking just, you know, they're hammering away steady as ever. Um, Ian book could pull something off. You, you got to believe in that potentially being uh, another dark horse contender for the Heisman um, and Zach Wilson. It all comes down to this week. Cause if BYU can stay undefeated and keep up this nice run, and watch out. Zach Wilson's a real Heisman contender. That's kind of the, the old school Heisman playbook is a guy like Zach Wilson. You know, we've got away from that where it's more become like an NFL MVP because we're so playoff obsessed. But we, it used to be guys exactly like Zach Wilson. And then uh, I got to shout out the, the Cincinnati quarterback, Desmond Ritter. Since he's for real, um, they're probably the better uh, non-power five squad in the country. I think they're better than BYU even. Um, and, and he's, he's really playing well. They're uh, their junior quarterback. He, he put on a show against Memphis. So, okay, cool. Uh, Justin, any final thoughts on those Bama guys before we let you go? Yeah, I'm just, I'm really interested to see what Najee Harris does down the stretch. I'm glad that Jake brought him up because he's just, been phenomenal and it's as as a Bama guy it's been fun to watch just because you know Najee's been a guy who's kind of had to been patient by his time throughout the system obviously they've had a ton of success but you know Bama's a place where they got a lot of playmakers and he had to wait it out and it's paying off for him Uh, before I go though I did want to briefly just talk about that BYU uh, Boise State game because I think it's going to be so much fun you know if you've got nothing going on on a Friday night definitely check this out I, I will say I think this is probably the best team that BYU has, has played this season. I know they've rolled, oh, by, but, by but Boise State has, you know, a really athletic defense. They're going to pressure him. They're going to make it hard on him. And and they, they're obviously tremendous offensively. They have had to deal with uh, some COVID stuff. So it'll be mm. interesting to see, you know, if, if that impacts the game at all. But, you know, if, if Zach Smith goes on the road, puts up a, a really, you know, tremendous performance on a Friday night on national television at Boise State, you know, that's a Heisman moment. On the blue turf, it's going to be a shame there's no not many fans, but uh, getting Boise on the blue turf, on ESPN, national TV and everything, that's a big scalp no matter what the circumstances. Um, so thank you, Justin. Really appreciate your insights on Trey McBride and everything else, college football. Um, check out Justin's content and all of Hank's content my Broncos grades. And I know Jake, you want to get into a little Drew Locke stuff. Um, all of that at the DMVR.com. If you haven't already um, subscribe and be part of the family. Um, 
and yeah, just support us because that's really uh, the biggest way you can support us. We killed it with the draft guide. The NBA guys are doing the same. The NHL guys did the same. Um, so anyways, nothing but great stuff. Uh, so yeah, check that out. And also download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code rainbow this week when you sign up to get this can't miss offer DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right. You bet and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code rainbow during sign up for a limited time. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older Colorado only risk free coverage paid out in sight. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. As always, we'll be getting into our picks and all that at the end of the show. Justin, as we salute you, though, and we just talked about DraftKings, go out on a limb. This big game, Boise, BYU, what happens? Who covers the spread? Cougs were three-and-a-half-point favorites. Cougs, three-and-a-half-point favorites? On the road, yeah. Look, I... I'm a believer in this Boise State team. I'm a believer in this BYU team. This, you know, I have no disrespect. And honestly, I'm part of me is kind of pulling for BYU just because I'd like to see them potentially, you know, run the table and make things hard on the, on the playoff committee. But I will say, you know, that this Boise State team, they're stacked and I, I put my money on Boise State. So if we're being honest, I, I think Boise State takes it at home. I think they're a tough team. I think they're well coached. And I just think they're going to challenge BYU in a way that they haven't been challenged so far this season. That said, like I said, you know, if Zach Wilson goes out, he balls out, proves to be the, the stud that we think he is, you know, I'd, I'd gladly eat crow on it. Yeah. And I mean, if you're a Broncos fan, not happy with Drew Locke, Zach Wilson, you, you've got your eyes on him and Mac Jones probably. So you'll want to follow Justin Michael here. Um, thanks again, Justin. We'll, uh, we'll talk soon, bro. Um, okay, guys, let's get into that Drew Locke talk um, and his development. We had some, you know, we've had some good talks about quarterback evals and everything. So, uh, Jake, I'll just let you start us off. Sure. So there, uh, there's a lot to get into with this. Um, Drew Locke has been fascinating, I think, uh, for multiple reasons in Denver. Um for one, he really kind of elevates this team a bit. They play better when he plays. Uh, he really gives yeah. them a shot to win. Yeah. But I can't help but be a bit hesitant because I don't, I don't want to put too much on him right now. I mean, we're only 10 games in, and this is including the Pittsburgh game where he played, what, two series? So yeah. we're really getting his 10th start this weekend against Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But I haven't really seen the progression I've really wanted to see at this right. point. Oh yeah. Um, there's still, I mean, you and Mace, I watched the post game show after the chargers game, you mentioned it, that he's still kind of doing a lot of the same stuff that he was getting criticized for when he was coming out, you know, uh, kind of winging some throws, throwing off uh, his back foot, just kind of not really playing as clean as he could. And yes. it is frustrating because he's so talented. I mean, it's so apparent, especially in that last uh, quarter and a half against the chargers, you could tell that this guy if he can put it all together, he can really play. But just the the peaks and valleys with him are really frustrating, and it makes it tough to kind of trust him long-term. Um, 
I already mentioned that he does really give the Broncos a chance to win. I mean, Tim Tebow gave the Broncos a chance to win too. Are we just going to kind of say that, look, Drew Locke is the best thing we've had probably since Peyton and just kind of settle with that? Mm-hmm. Or are we kind of feeling hesitant here, maybe trying to move on this offseason? Because it's, it's really interesting to me. Absolutely. Hank, uh, what have you seen from Drew so far? I think that when you look at all of the really great quarterbacks, like the Peyton Mannings and the Tom Brady's and the Drew Brees, all those types, they don't screw up the easy plays. Like, like it all starts with them. Every one of the passes that a quarterback should complete every single time, they complete those passes every time. Meanwhile, Drew has a tendency to screw up a lot of little things. Like sometimes he gets up to the line of scrimmage and it just seems like, like they'll have to take a timeout in a situation where you're like, Tom Brady never lets that happen. It's all about those little details. It's all about the execution with Drew. And, and you can get into like, is, are his feet the reason why he misses so many short throws? All of that kind of stuff if you want. But from a very broad perspective, what I see is somebody who can do a lot of the plus things that you want a quarterback to yeah. be able to do. The, yeah. the things where you can put the ball downfield right on somebody and make a play. But he may not even have like the Ryan Fitzpatrick type of ability to just take what is right there in front of him and keep things going at the pace that an offense needs to be going. Uh, But, you know, I'm just not sure if that's something that you expect to develop over time. Like it does seem like a lot of that would be repetition, just getting out there, making short passes, doing those sorts of things. But if, if he just stopped missing on some of those not seeing some of the open receivers underneath, you know, if, if he was occasionally a little bit quicker to dump the ball off to a running back. I think that you could look at what he's done so far in a totally different light than we're looking at it right now, because he would have checked all of the easy boxes to check. Plus he does give you all of that extra stuff that we know that he can certainly give an offense. Well, and I think you've uh, kind of nailed that on the head. Um, and that's where I have such a hard time because, um, and, and, and the evaluator in me is torn with the analyst and, and, and greater in me, because from an evaluation standpoint, what you're saying is exactly right, Henry, but that's what makes Drew Locke so intriguing is he already gives you those gravy bonus parts. He already gives the team a better ability to succeed than all the other run-of-the-mill journeymen's this team has tried in the post Peyton Manning era. Um, and, and, and those deficiencies, those should be coachable. I mean, I, I swear to you, those are things we should be able to coach up. Uh, reading defenses and processing things quicker and repetition and coaching and just familiarity. And there are things with, you know, with experience, they come. Um, so, and that's why I would warrant patience, but you guys are right. And I think we get back to Jake's point is there's undeniably been some regression this season to the drew lock we saw in 2019 which is frustrating because I started to get pretty excited in 2019 where I was seeing some things from Drew 
that I'd always, he'd always left me wanting for more at Missouri. And it was like, Oh, Oh snap. This is clicking. Like he's come into the NFL. He's putting this team on his shoulder. And all of a sudden he doesn't have those deficiencies under pressure that I was seeing at Mizzou at the S in the sec. Now 2020 comes, everything's a little more rushed. Everything that feeling out the pressure just hasn't been as good until I thought that kind of clicked in the second half against the chargers where he said, you know what? Screw it. I just got to hang tough. Um, and that the first two scoring drives in the fourth quarter, he's just hanged. He took some tough shots and he was making the easy plays, but he's making them while he's getting, you know, hand in the face and about to get hit. And then that final drive, that was Drew Locke just vibing and, you know, kind of improvising and making plays on the run. So again, he's got the gravy bonus stuff, but I mean, I think you guys put it really nicely. He leaves you wanting for more in those areas that seem simple, but should come with experience. And I wonder if he's part of this quarterback generation where we're just so impatient and we're going to have a lot of Ryan Tannehill's, you know, guys who in a second, third stage of their career, finally with that patience, with that ability to grow, develop into pretty darn good quarterbacks. Yeah. yeah and I think that drew in that last drive, did show more of an ability to be clinical. You know, he, he was just like, basically they spread the field out and he just got the ball to whoever was open, which is a super simple thing to do, you would think. But for the first three quarters of the game, he was happy to throw the ball downfield into double coverage and give somebody a chance to go make a play instead of hitting somebody underneath and taking the five yards. And I think, when you you're watching that shift happen on that final drive of the game in the fourth quarter where they actually have to move quickly and you're saying, so this is when you're willing to take five years. It's, it's just kind of confusing sometimes. So I think it's just part of being a young quarterback and you know, he's, he's a lot of things, but what he isn't right now is just clinical. And that's something that, every good quarterback needs to be able to do. Just go out there and execute and put yourself in a good position. Yeah. The thing that I come back to with Drew Locke is his two shining moments as a Denver Broncos so far. Uh, one was last week, the comeback against the chargers. And then last year in 2019, it was the first half against Houston. And mm-hmm. in both of those games, even though he had these great peaks uh, leading the team back against the chargers, Uh, dominating Houston in the first half, the rest of the games or the rest of the game in both of those instances, it just wasn't up to par with where he was when it was at his best. And, you know, you can call it clinical consistency, whatever, just having that at quarterback, that rock solid, you know, someone that you can rely on. I mean, Drew is someone you can rely on, but just rely on him to consistently make the easy throws and just, move the offense downfield. I mean, watching the offense go three and out for two and a half quarters was just terrible to watch. So it's, it just makes it hard when you're evaluating him and you're going up against Mahomes and Herbert in your own division and how they flash so easily. It's just kind of, I I hate to be impatient with it, but I want to see more at this point. And it's just frustrating that I haven't. No, you do. And uh, the the upside's still there, but, and, this is why Drew dropped to the early second. Um, and I was always intrigued by the upside for the exact conundrum 
we're in right now, if the tools are there, the flashes are there, if he can just clean up the coachable stuff, I, boy, we, we really might be cooking with fire. Um, big if though, right? <laughs> that, that There's a massive separation between, a, there, there's athletes all over the history of pro sports who you can say, boy, if they could just do the stuff you could coach, that, that's coachable, but he's an all-time great. Um, yeah, we could do 2,000 podcasts about guys like that. Um, you know, easy to say, hard to do. Um, so <laughs> it's uh, you, you just got to stay patient, but it is a lot of this does come down to what his ultimate ceiling is for me. Um, because again, you're, you're asking him to be perfect and you're still asking him to give you all that gravy stuff. Um, and you're, you're hoping to keep progressing and progressing, you know, maybe like what, what is the ceiling? How, how good can Drew Locke be? And I think that's more than anything, the question we're all antsy. Um, that's why we'd like to see a more complete project so we could properly evaluate and say, okay, um, we can do better or like, no, no we, we've got something legit here. Um, because I, I, he belongs in the NFL. He's a starting quarterback in the NFL if you give him time. But this is Denver, uh, just starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. I think for a lot of fans isn't enough. And in this division might just not be enough in the year 2020. Uh, so, yeah, no, uh, I'll, I'll leave the floor to you guys on any last points. And then we got to get into some big winners this week, some big guys rising up my board. This was a fun one. So, yeah, uh, just to close that out, I mean, I can criticize your lock. I mean, all I want, but I still do believe in him. And the important thing for me is the team believes in him. Uh, just seeing the reaction of the team after the comeback, you know, Vaughn just going off about him, even though he's hurt. Um, the team still believes in him and the people calling for Brett Rippon at halftime and stuff. I mean, get that out of here because this whole yeah. season is about Drew Locke and evaluating him. That does yes. nothing to help this team bringing in Brett Rippon when you have a healthy Drew Locke. You know, do you, get, you have to just let him play out this season. And we talked about it, Andre. The interesting thing with Drew Locke this year is he kind of decides his fate because if he doesn't play well, Denver's in position to pick a quarterback. But if he does kind of play Denver out of that position, yeah. uh, he's certainly bought himself some time. Yeah, he, yeah. he legitimately controls his own faith. And the uh, I mean, absolutely. The leadership's unquestioned. And the other thing is, you know, we got to remember it's only his eighth start that, you know, start to finish last year was wacky because he's got the thumb injury. So he can't practice for like the longest six, six week IR. Right. Um, and so he's doing a lot of like virtual reps and still was thrown to the fire at, you know, guys like Ryan were saying he, it's insane to not give him more practice and throw him in like after one week of practice, but they did that and they win. They, they looked really good at the end of, the year despite you know you remember the the old line to end that season and it was like none of the starters were there it was a disaster and still he he manages to tread water this offseason obviously like none other before andy gets injured it's a new offense and everything these are pretty unique circumstances so if you think this can he can be coached up if you think the upside's worth believing in at least give him the rest of the season and let's see where we're at yeah because you have to remember like i'm glad that you brought up why it was hard for him to practice the new offense but then also you lose Cortland sutton 
a potential all pro receiver. And instead you now have, or last week you had two rookies and Deshaun Hamilton, who's worse than the two rookies. You have Noah Fant half playing or whatever's going on there. You brought in Melvin Gordon so that you could have some sort of running game. And he goes like six for nine yards or something like that, running the ball. This isn't a great situation for a quarterback to be in. And he found a way to win. I think that, I don't know. Like, I don't even know what I want out of him at this point. Like, I can't even say like, stop throwing the ball into double coverage because he puts the ball where it needs to be in double coverage. Like I, there have been a couple that obviously it didn't work out, but like if that's who you are, go do that. Go put the ball in your receiver's hands and give him a chance. I'm sorry that it's not Cortland Sutton out there. It's Deshaun Hamilton trying to go up and finish that play for you. And so I, I don't know. I think he needs to go out there. He needs to get a couple more easy completions. Like when you're a quarterback, I feel like you should get 175 yards of just three-yard, five-yard passes every single game. And then if you can get up over 300, that's because you hit five 25-yarders, you know? And, and so for him, it's just finding that balance, I think. And it's at points, it seems like he's doing it right. At points, it seems like it's really, really, really wrong. But at this point, I don't know. I feel like he's in a situation where he needs to, to show that he can make the right decision and show that, whatever he thinks is best will work out for him. And if it doesn't, then we'll have that conversation at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm glad we were able to have that talk because that's a, an always evolving talk. And you're right. Drew holds the keys to play himself out of it or play the Broncos into being interested in a Zach Wilson, a Mac Jones. I think it's fair to say, Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields are out of play, but we're starting to see some other candidates in um, an interesting quarterback class. What is shaping up to be? Um, it's also shaping up to be quite the interesting edge rushing class. Um, we're starting to talk more and more about these guys. How do I say the Michigan guy's name, Jake? Quitty Pay. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, I, I kind of got that. Um, yeah, you got it. Was the talk of last week, Joseph Osai, one of the big performers um, from this past week, the linear edge rusher for Texas, number 46, had himself a day in the big upset against Oklahoma State um, with three sacks, six tackles for a loss, a forced fumble. He now already has three forced fumbles on the season the other two coming again in the other big rivalry games against tcu and oklahoma um he's balling out i don't think he's a first round talent but he keeps producing like this he's gonna go a long way and that was a fun game chubba played well tillon wallace was otherworldly Ooh, there was there was a lot to take away from this one Yeah, it was a fun game. You kind of got a bit of everything. It was probably the most big 12 game I saw in a long time, just because (laughs) you really got it all. You had quarterbacks running around making plays. You had defenses busting coverages and guys running wide open downfield. You had crazy fumbles and turnovers. It was just, it was crazy all, all the whole game. And yeah, Joseph Osai played well, but Texas defensively has been concerning the past few weeks. And Tylen Wallace and Chubba Hubbard really kind of took advantage 
Mm-hmm. Um, Tylen Wallace, finally a huge game. You know, we mentioned a couple weeks ago, these guys are both kind of sleeping giants in this class. They're throwing their names into the hat in both, uh, both running back and wide receiver as top five candidates. Um, and then the quarterback for uh, Oklahoma State, I can't yeah, remember his Sanders. name. Sanders. Sanders, he was really fun to watch too. He is fun to watch and like oof, devastating as a better if you have money on Oklahoma State because you don't. Sanders is just yeah. like YOLO mode all game. Um, but no, you're right. Till and Wall, honestly, from a draft perspective, Osai's production will will leap out, but some of that is sacks in pursuit and stuff. Um, Wallace's footwork, ability to get open, just otherworldly yak ability. Um, he's a beast. Uh, yeah how do you rank these wide receivers dude i mean i I just don't think you can go wrong (laughs) i think i think you say this guy seems like what's missing from the offense you take him you take tillon wallace over i don't even it's hard to even say a name like Kadarius tony you know whoever you want to throw in there you can justify pretty much any of those decisions but like going back to osai he may not have earned all of the production. Like you said, like maybe mm-hmm. he didn't like beat a left tackle and get into the backfield to get his sack, mm-hmm. but <laughs> the production three sacks. I mean, it's also insane. as an edge rusher, 12 tackles is crazy. Yeah. Six yeah. tackles for loss. Yeah. Those are just otherworldly numbers, you know, getting ready for this weekend. Um, buffs play UCLA. UCLA has this defensive lineman, osa something i have to read it to know it and you know that's been the talk of the week is like okay you should be able to run on these guys as long as you can stop osa as long as you can keep him out of the play because he had 10 tackles for loss all last season and meanwhile joseph osai is just out there putting up these numbers Six. it's absurd no it's not and i mean quidu pain russo's not playing um Aiden Hutchinson was a bit different. Xavier Thomas, the Clemson D end has played the last few weeks. I've been talking him up um, all off season. I'm glad he's actually back on the field. He's looked really good um, with the return of the PAC 12. Um, Oregon state's got that kid Rashad who yeah. can really come off the edge. He's a great speed rusher. So you've got some options. Another dude I've got that I wanted to talk about. Um, my Jay Sanders, I believe is his name, but he is the stud edge rusher on the Cincinnati front Cincinnati. I kind of mentioned them in the Heisman talk. They've been so fun. He rocks number 21. His like uni swag is off the charts. He wears that all black Cincy Jersey. He's got white. he's got white long sleeves underneath it with white gloves. And uh, he's always flashed and had potential. He's a Florida kid, 6'5", 250. Um, so he looks the part. But this year, early on, he's already got seven tackles for a loss and five sacks. Um, he's another name in the mix with like Carlos Basham of Wake Forest, who I haven't mentioned. So, dude, we've got some names in this edge class. And I am so excited to get back into edge evals. Honestly, a l- a little part of my draft Nick soul died for a couple of years when I couldn't evaluate edge rushers. I'm so glad to be back to that. Yeah, it was a drought really up until this point. I mean, we were really searching everywhere to find an edge guy that could just even break the top five. 
Um, yep. So it's nice to kind of have this pop and finally start to put the board together and really get a clear kind of top five at this point. I will say Clemson, uh, just an overall take on them as a team and where it relates to the playoff. Defensively, I am kind of worried because the secondary yes. I don't think has lived up to par. And uh, Jerkovic for Boston College, <laughs> he's been someone that I haven't talked about on here yet. He's been impressive all year, though. And he no, you've up talked about him before. He, he's okay. a good call by you, man. He's a good yeah. call. He's, he's he's looking. I think he's top five in the country in passing yards right now. He's real nice. I mean, he's a former Notre Dame recruit. This guy is not coming out of nowhere. You know, he is a high profile guy that just happens to be at Boston College. Um, Boston College was really game against Clemson. Uh, Dracovic was a big part. And but but just going back to that point, this secondary for Clemson really kind of scares me, especially when you kind of bring up Devontae Smith and the rest of even without Jalen Waddell, what Alabama has. I it's going to be tough for me to really see them keeping up with them, I think, at this point. Yeah, but at the same time, Bama's defense isn't what it typically is either. Very and, true. And, you know, I, this is going to be a weird year in terms of the college football playoff, especially because I've spent half this time thinking about whether BYU can find a way in. Yeah. And I think they can, know. you know. I'm not sure what exactly that path is. We can talk about that after they beat Boise State if that happens, I guess. But I don't know. I don't. There know might be. You're right. There could be a sliver of hope, actually, for BYU. I don't want to dismiss that. You know, it's going to be about and what you just said about Clemson and you piggyback um, about Alabama. You know who that's also true about is Ohio State. Um, That's not the same Buckeyes defense we've seen the last few years with Chase Young and the Bosa's and stuff and Okuda and all those guys. They've lost a lot of talent. They are not that same dominant defense. Look, they look good. I've been saying all along, I think on paper, they might still be the most talented squad of all, but it's going to come down to which of these extremely talented because these programs have, you know, they've got the talent. It's just all three programs have a ton of inexperience on those defensive units, whichever unit is able to grow the most this season and be the most developed come those college football playoffs. That's probably what will crown the national championship is which of those three defense young defenses can develop the most. And you know, who's a young defense that's playing really amazing though is Georgia, which again, we keep saying must watch for Broncos fans every single week because they've got prospects that could interest Denver across the board, you know, edge rushers i didn't even mention oh jury or my favorite guy adam anderson this week against kentucky i thought richard lecount the safety uh, he might be the best safety in the country guys it leads the team in uh in tackles he was flying everywhere he's so physical he's so fast downhill he's so rangy he's a complete safety i don't think we're talking about him enough he was otherworldly yeah, I agree. Uh, Paris Ford just opted out for the rest mm-hmm. of the season for Pitt. Yep. So the yep. count really has an opportunity now to improve his stock and prove that he's the best safety eligible this year. Um, I mean, he's just, he's been awesome since DeAndre Baker was there. I remember watching DeAndre Baker and writing the count's name down. So it's just business mm-hmm. as usual, really for him. He's awesome. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Another guy in the, go ahead. Come back to the count. Um, I'm not sure if you saw this, but it was like a weird story this week. He was riding a dirt bike 
and wound up like hitting a car and bouncing and hitting another car what? they said yeah no they said he's not gonna need surgery to fix anything but he oh was in the ice god and he isn't gonna play this week. and we don't really know what that timeline is going to be this honestly like the, this safety class though the way good. things have gone this season it's been disappointing yeah. like you finally have somebody who you're like okay this guy's a star yeah. and then the weird fluky thing happens and now we don't get to see quite as much of him. Right now, Ford's gone. Caden Stearns, right? That's his name, the Texas safety? Yeah. yeah. Super disappointing. Yeah. Um, Andre Sisko's the Syracuse kid. He's done for the year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're right. It, it's Holland, the the Oregon kid. Is he, he playing? He opted out. Basically, that entire secondary that I thought. That's what I thought. Toe-to-toe with any secondary in the country. Uh, all opted out. Javon Holland's gone. Brady Breeze opted out. Thomas Graham opted out. Now I did hear Graham opted back in. Oh, really? So that's um, but yeah, no, you're right. This safety group is whew. wow. Um, but then yeah, that, what a bummer from LeCount. You really bummed me out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> another guy who's sticking to business in the ACC in the SEC rather is um Kadarius Tooney, man, from Florida, three touchdowns against Mizzou. This kid's a freak. That's why I was looking up Alvin Kamara's 40. Um, Kamara's like 14, 15, maybe even 20 pounds heavier. But as we look for the next McCaffrey, Kamara, Antonio Gibson, you know, and maybe, maybe they end up being more of a Christian Samuel, uh, Paris Campbell type of guy who's a disappointment. But right now, Tooney looks exactly like that hybrid receiver running back returner who you just want to put the ball in his hands and let go. I know you were tweeting about him, Jake. Uh, this guy's special. Like what range should we be mocking him in? I don't even, I don't even know what range he would be. Yeah. Like yeah, it's one of those, those hybrid players. So hard to project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Kadarius Tony, a lot of fun to watch. Um, just the his like center of gravity for a guy that's that small is really impressive. Um, he's able to kind of just bowl through tackles and break tackles at will. That touchdown run he had against Missouri was really impressive. Um, he's just a guy that you don't know exactly where he fits in the top five, but he's going to be sneaking around this entire process. His burst is really insane. His burst is special. Um, yeah, yeah, no, he's playing really well. And then uh, I thought Landon Young, the left tackle for uh, Kentucky, I've been talking him up. I thought this was a big test for him uh, this week against Georgia. Obviously not a great outing for Kentucky's offense, who could only muster three points. But I thought Young looked good. He's playing left tackle now. I wonder if he's more. He reminds me kind of of a Dalton Reisner, Brandon Scherf type guy, more of a boxy guy who moves his feet well, is comp, very competent in pass protection, but probably better suited to move inside to guard, where I think this could be a real high end prospect. Um, but I started the show really excited when we got on because I wanted to tell you guys about my new second favorite offensive tackle prospect getting a lot of buzz the last couple of weeks at Virginia tech. 
is Christian Derisaw. Um, he, he's a former two-star recruit uh, who instantly burst onto the scene as a freshman All-American. Uh, he's been starting at left tackle now for two years in a row for the um, for Vatek, and he's uh, his game against Louisville, which I believe is their most recent game, is some of the best um, left tackle tape I've watched in quite a while. Uh, he reminds me of Garrett Bowles with some of the nastiness and downhill athleticism he has, but he's more compact, more put together, not as linear an athlete, um, but he just moves so effortlessly and he's got this nasty edge to himself devastating run blocker moves really well on pull blocks and you can just see those feet are so natural and pass pro as well where he might be a little raw especially when guys are making moves off his inside shoulder and what have you but there saw right now is a i mean biggest riser for me since we last talked um I've got him ahead of Leatherwood. I've got him ahead of Cosme. I'm, I'm really interested to see how Ellen Berg, the Notre Dame left tackle, who I'm coming around to, um, performs uh, this week against Clemson. Of course, we don't get to see Walker Little, but we've got this former two-star recruit who's taking advantage of these other guys faltering or maybe not playing at all, who is already a top 15, top 20 guy on my board. I'm, I'm absolutely in love with it. That's encouraging to hear because I wanted the, I haven't been able to talk about Virginia tech really too much on this show yet. And they have one of the most effective rushing attacks in the country. Yes. Um, they're averaging 6.4 yards a carry as a team. Uh, and Khalil Herbert, he was a transfer from Kansas. I believe he's been their lead back this year. He's averaging 8.4 yards per carry. He's had multiple games over wow. 10 yards per carry. Yeah. So Derisaw might be the reason why I'll have to go back and watch the film now that you mention him, but I'm sure he's a big reason why that they're averaging so much on the ground. Yeah. Um, also, I wanted to ask you, uh, Zion Johnson, what did you think of him against Clemson? I wasn't too locked into him specifically, but I think Zion's been playing well all year, man, especially mm -hmm. for his first season where he's been kicked out outside um, I think that whole BC team uh, really looked pretty good. But no, I think Zion looks good. I do wonder, does he have the length to stick at tackle right now? But man, plays with great leverage. He, he, he squares guys up in space. Zion plays really well. Um, and another, to finish this offensive tackle talk, another guy I've seen rise up boards is Spencer Brown from Northern Iowa, Northern Iowa FCS, right, Hank? And they're not playing football right now. Uh, I don't think – I mean, so they're Missouri Valley Conference. I don't think Missouri Valley's playing because that right. – Right. That's my assumption too. But um, So, you know, as, as evaluators are catching up on tape and stuff, Brown, who's played right tackle at Northern Iowa, David Johnson's former school, um, the – to name a few, they've been a nice little pro factory for an FCS. This guy, um, he's going to be competing with the North Dakota State Radunes as kind of the top FCS tackle prospect, freak athlete, built one of those guys who looks like a tight end who's 20 pounds heavy and moves like it. Um, you can just see how raw he is. 
um, obviously coming from the FCS level, but his upside is already having him mocked by some in the first round. So keep your eyes on Spencer Brown. We'll be talking about him a lot more, and I'm kind of getting excited about this tackle and edge rush class, man. There's some options. There's some meat and potatoes are here, man. Yes. Yes. And that, I mean, that's what the Broncos need, right? When we were doing that mock Jake and we're looking at back seven talent help and those wouldn't have been our first choices, you know, but Mm -hmm. that's how the board fell. Um, So we took advantage and, you know, ended up pretty nicely. We had like guys like Dylan Moses, Patrick Sertain, Micah Parsons available to us, Sean Wade, maybe, um, but now, now we've got a few more options that tackle an edge rusher too. So, all right, uh, let's get into previewing the week or we can do a quick mock draft. Uh, where should we go from here, guys? We're, uh, we're about an hour in at this point. Um, you guys want to hit these games? There's some pretty high-profile games this weekend. Let's do it. We have some amazing games. Um this weekend it's uh i mean we've got the pack 12 coming back and before you you do that if you haven't tried strava yet we are selling strava cold brew at the dmvr bar uh you can also subscribe now and save 20 percent with a strava craft coffee subscription we know a bunch of you have taken advantage of the one-time code and now you can save 20 percent off your favorite coffee forever You'll never have to put your credit card info in again. It'll just come to your door. Uh, Strava Craft Coffee has been a sponsor of ours for a long time. They do amazing stuff um, with their CBD-infused Strava Craft Coffee. Um, that, you know, it's just incredible how it helps people. And it's also kind of that perfect coffee where, you know, it wakes you up uh, like a coffee will, but it's got that CBD in it. So you don't get those usual coffee jitters. It's my go-to for an afternoon cup of joe, um, you know, to watch tape and get hyped about these downhill pull blocks that a guy like Darisaw likes to make, but also not get, you know, not get headachey or, or uh, too amped up. You know, we, we want to watch film responsibly around here. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, try Stravacraft coffee out and, um, Use code DNVR20 to save 20% off. All right, Jake said it. Henry, you've waited what feels like five years, but finally Pac-12 football is here. You get to cover it. You even got some FCS football in the spring, Henry. Big Sky. I was seeing UNC, McCaffrey's first year as a coach. They've got a schedule out. You're oh, you're muted. Yep, I was eating chips during the ad read. Um, (laughs) I hadn't even looked. I I do have the schedule pulled up at whether Montana will play here. No, they won't. Well, that's disappointing. I you did get my hopes up for a second though. I don't know. I'm thinking at some point we're gonna have to like make a trip up there because like Montana State, Montana and Missoula, March 27th, FCS playoffs start like April 24th. And those will be home games in Montana. This is like the first time that that I can go back there and watch football outside of like the Buffs one bye week, which hopefully aligns. Um, so really excited about the Big Sky releasing a schedule. Um, also, so what about, about the Pac-12? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah <we'd... laughs> um, but yeah, Pac-12. 
they already had two of the six games that were scheduled for this week canceled. Yeah, so that's Arizona, Utah. What was the other one? Washington, Cal. Apparently there was like an outbreak in Cal's defensive line room. And Washington's another of those teams like Oregon where you could basically cook up an all-star team's worth um, when you just add up the the holdouts. In fact, some guys like Joe Tyron, edge rusher, another guy from Washington won't be playing this year. Um, But yeah. Big game is Oregon at Stanford. Uh, you know, we wish we could watch Paulson, Adiba, Walker, Little, some of those guys in that Oregon secondary. Thomas Graham is playing, however, the stud corner for the Ducks. He's definitely a guy we want to keep an eye on. CJ Verdell, the Oregon running back, also playing Henry. Yep. And he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Damn straight. Um, but they have a lot of running backs, too. And I'm actually really interested in the receivers as well. Well, um, we might see Anthony Brown, right? Who could be a bit of a dark horse running back prospect in this, uh, in this class. Yeah. Yeah. And the Jalen red is a guy who I really liked uh, from last year. Uh, he's back at receiver. They have a lot of fun skill position players. Um, obviously big question mark at quarterback with Justin Herbert gone. Um, you know, offensive line, we spent a lot of time talking about their offensive linemen last year. Um, well, they're all gone, plus Penny Sewell opted out. So there is a bit of a question mark up front, too, but they seem like they should be built to withstand all those issues. And then, of course, Kayvon Thibodeau on the defensive side, still one more year before he's draft eligible, mm-hmm. but he's right up there with any of the edge rushers in the country for my money. I think it's true freshman last year. He had, yep. I, I, he might've had 10 sacks as a true freshman. He was up there. Um, yeah. It's a shame. We don't get to see him against Walker little. And of course we don't get to see Penny Sewell too. Who I neglected to mention. Is uh, uh, Paulson Adebo playing? I'm pretty sure he's still opted out. Yeah. Too bad because he is also who you'd want to look at. But I mean, it with is... Stanford, they'll definitely have at least a couple of offensive linemen um, who will be worth making notes of. Uh, I'm blanking on the name. Give me a second. Oh, there Foster Sarrell? Yep, that's him. Uh, he's one to watch for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, all those guys really. Um, yeah, I mean, big receiver outside. David Shaw. Well. David Shaw always produces that uh, O line talent. Yeah, Michael Wilson, the junior wide receiver, is also a guy to watch. And I believe Thomas Booker, um, their mm-hmm. defensive lineman, is still um, a guy to keep an eye on. But a lot of people like Oregon in this one, Hank. I'm trying to find this line here, make sure it hasn't moved. I've got it at eight. Oh, so that has moved some. We were in double-digit territory for a minute. Which is where it probably should be. I'd definitely take Oregon. Yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah. it seems to me like Stanford's kind of in a bit of a rebuilding year, especially with all these opt-outs. I just don't really see them being able to go four quarters with Oregon. Jeez, you're probably right. I have so much respect for David Shaw. I love their coach. I, I think you completely was. understand that though, man. Yeah. David Shaw is, I mean, he's a guy that can make an impact in the NFL, I think, but a hundred percent. He just doesn't want to. Yeah. Like yes. it seems like people have been talking about him as an NFL coach since the Broncos hired 
Vance Joseph. Yes. I think that it's was not longer cost around yeah. then. Yeah. But yeah, the, I think the game I'm most excited to see is Arizona State and USC. Those two quarterbacks with Jaden Daniels for Arizona State, Keaton Slovis with USC, mm-hmm. going back and forth. Um, yes. Arizona State, a couple of other guys worth watching as well. Um, they have uh, Frank Darby, who yeah. last year was kind of the bigger name between him and Brandon Ayuk. Um, at least that's what some of the Arizona State fans I've been talking to have said. Uh, so keep an eye on him. Kind of similar player, not quite as explosive. I've seen um, him listed at tight end in some places. Darby. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Never mind. Okay. Um, JK. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Merlin Robertson on the defensive side of the ball. Um, very versatile outside linebacker. Um, and then really everybody in that secondary, um, whether it's Chase Lucas, Jack Jones, Ashari Crosswell, they're all worth keeping an eye on, but no guarantees there. And Jermaine Lole, the defensive tackle, another guy worth watching. Arizona State has a, a lot more talent than I think they get credit for. Yeah, I think this game is going to be pretty close. Uh, Chase Lucas, a guy that I've been aware of for a couple of years now, he's been, he was impressive as a freshman at cornerback. So I'm excited to see if he's able to still kind of progress, but yeah, man, is 10 AM for a PAC 12 game. What, how often does this happen? Oh, that's the new thing this year. They have the 9 AM West coast starts because they want to get eyes on the TV. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. It's better trying it without fans. Everybody hated it before. On um, like talking to all the coaches, like half of them say this is the stupidest thing. Like, like I think David Shaw, for example, said, "Well, I spend a lot of time with the sleep professors here, like the people who are the leading sleep experts, and they say we need to let these kids sleep in because that's just being realistic in college." So he's angry. But then, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, Mario Cristobal was like, "Yeah." If you guys aren't ready to go play at 9 a.m., then what are you even doing here? So we'll see how it goes, but it'll be fun. Also nice having all of them on national TV. No Pac-12 network broadcast this year. That is nice. Um, USC, for the top programs, they are bringing back a decent amount of guys, right? Like St. Brown, um, Vaughn's, they're coming back. Uh, I was disappointed that they're missing like some of their defensive tackles. They're missing J two a who I really like, but they'll have uh Telenoa Hufanga, who's a safety. I really like uh, super physical. So they've got some dudes. I can understand why they're favored in this game. But 10 and a half. I, number. It's, yeah. too, it's too much to me. I think that this will be a pretty close game. Um, But, I mean, with Keaton Slovis, we've seen it before. We've seen him have success. We've seen him have success with these receivers, plus Michael Pittman, but they'll have a Michael Pittman replacement. Plus, at this point, Amon Ross St. Brown is probably a step ahead of where he ever was. And so I do think that there's maybe some more stability. You know, Arizona State losing Eno Benjamin is going to cause some issues at the very least. Um, but yeah, I do think that the line is a little bit too wide. Right on. So we're all, I guess we're all taking Oregon 
and we're all taking Arizona State. Good. Yep. Uh, what else do we have on this Pac-12 slate that's exciting from well, a draft standpoint where we can move on? Anything you want to say about um, the Colorado-UCLA game, Henry? Any yeah. future pros um, we should watch there? Really don't have anything to say about Washington State, Oregon State. Like you said, Hamilcar Rashad, he's awesome, the linebacker, but don't. it's Washington he's State don't. and Oregon State. Yeah, for um, sure. So yeah, Max Borgie, too. Max Borgie. Yeah. Oh, and of course, Max Borgie. But then uh, with Colorado, uh, you look at Mustafa Johnson. Um, now mm-hmm. that they're playing that one mm-hmm. technique, there's a lot of potential for him to do a lot more. Uh, he got hurt with that chop block uh, against Air Force early in the season last year and was never quite himself, but still put up pretty solid numbers. Um, seen him listed. I'm pretty sure ESPN had him as a top 10 defensive end in the country. Um, behind him, you've got Nate Landman, inside linebacker, more of a traditional linebacker. Uh, need to see a little bit of a step up in terms of coverage, but he has everything else you could look for, like the attitude, just a bit prickly. I think last time we talked to him, as soon as he put down the headset, he told the SID there that he's not talking to the media after games unless he leads the team in tackles. So a lot of like that kind of stuff. He's got like the big tattoo, the neck roll. Um, but he does need to be able to move just a little bit better. Um, and then uh, offensively, Katie Nixon needs to break out. Daniel Arias yeah. isn't going to be ready to move on after this year. Oh, Will Sherman, of course, the left tackle. Um, he's one to watch for sure. Somebody who could leave school early if everything goes well this year. Nice. Um, cool. And yeah. – uh, I will move on from the Pac-12 then. BYU, Boise State, big game for um, Zach Wilson. Monumental game for Zach Wilson, frankly. Um, Jalen Walker, best defender on Boise State, their corner should be playing, and they have some real speed at wide receiver, um, starting with, uh, oh gosh, Shaquille. I'm blanking on his name. Oh, Khalil Khalil Shakir, thank you. Yes. Um, so those are kind of the prospects to keep an eye on. Uh, but picks on that one, fellas. Who you got? I'm going to go with the quarterback. I'm going to take BYU. Me too. I almost let Justin talk me into Boise State. And I know that he knows so much more about Boise State than I do. But I just can't bet against Zach Wilson. Yeah. Uh, Boise State all the way. Um, that's, that's a tough one. I gotta see if BYU is for real, you know, BYU was going to have an all time tough schedule. They always play a ton of power five schools. They really got bailed out from how things are going. This is their one real test. I gotta see it. I gotta see it before I just say, Oh yeah, you should be favored in Boise by four. Uh, usually if you're not a power five, that's a bad proposition. Um, Let's get into Michigan, Indiana, Jake. Uh, we talked about Michigan being dis- disappointing. Indiana's been one of the surprises and bright spots of the first two games in the Big Ten. Um, of course, they're kind of crazy upset of Penn State, and then they take care of business against Rutgers. Um, what's your read on this? Man, um I do kind of think Indiana's a bit overrated at this point, although Michigan, I mean, what team are we going to get here? Uh, Milton really didn't 
play up to par last week against Michigan State. He was spectacular against Minnesota. He had a couple flash plays, um, but really wasn't able to put together a complete game. So that's got me worried. The thing Michigan has going for them, though, obviously is the front seven, especially those edge guys. But their running game, if they can get that rolling, that was the the big issue, I think, against Michigan State. Um, They really just couldn't run the ball. I mean, all credit to Michigan State. They played fantastic on the defensive side of the ball. They really shut down Michigan's run game. Um, But if Michigan can get it rolling with Haskins and Charbonnet uh, and Chris Evans, a guy that's been there for forever now that I've really liked uh, since he was a freshman, he's finally back on the team this year. Um, if those three backs can get it rolling, I think that they can squeak this out. I see the line at three and a half for Michigan. Is that yep. correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, three and a half. Um, <laughs> I would take Michigan to cover this. Um, I'm with you. I just think they're overall more talented. I don't know if you guys put any weight into this, but according to ESPN's FPI, uh, they do have Indiana winning this matchup more than Michigan. Wow, that's crazy. I think we're just overrating that Penn State game, which was insanely fluky. Um, And we're probably overrating the Rutgers win a bit, too, because Rutgers actually looked half decent in their opening game. But I need to see it to believe it. Yeah, three and a half. It seems like I'm being gifted about four points here, three and a half Mm -hmm. at the very least. So I will take that um, for Big Blue and hope that they get that running game sorted out. Yeah, we'll see. How's uh, how's Mayfield looking? Uh, he was okay. I, I mean, the Minnesota game, I thought he was outstanding. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when they comboed him and Ben Mason just on those zone runs to the right side, they were just mm-hmm. completely washing down Minnesota. You did not see that at all against Michigan State. Um, he did get hurt at the end of the game, though. I don't know his status exactly. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on, uh, especially moving forward for his draft stock. Henry, are you with us in Michigan or are you taking the higher ranked Indiana Hoosiers uh, to pull off the home upset? I feel like you have to take Michigan. Yeah. You know, I think Michigan is good for a couple of lameouts a year. I, I don't think that they come in 50% of the games. I think they're just small sample size. We saw them look terrible. They'll be right back to what they are this week. Oof. Yeah, after a loss, I kind of like my chances. Probably from a draft standpoint, certainly the matchup of the week, Florida Gators going to Georgia to take on the dogs, we get to really see Tooney, Cal Trask, uh, Cal Pitts, of course, that Dan Mullen offense put to the probably toughest test in the country defensively. Those Georgia Bulldogs who I think that whole line, NFL prospects, Monty Rice, one of the best inside linebackers in the country. Both those corners are NFL guys, maybe the best safety in the country. Um, I would not want to have to play offense against those guys. Start us off, fellas. Um, Whoever wants to lead us, go ahead. How do you see this playing out? I'm seeing Georgia as just a standard three-point favorite at home. I mean, I think, you know, the matchup that we're most interested in for draft purposes is, of course, Florida's offense versus Georgia's defense. But this game, I think, comes down to the other side. Can Georgia move the ball? 
Um, they've been yeah. pretty underwhelming overall offensively this year. Um, I mean, it's the same song and dance really with them. They're a power team. They like to run the ball, kind of pick and choose their shots when they move downfield. Um, 14 points against Kentucky last week. Not going to lie, if I say I'm a bit concerned that I don't think that they can really score enough to hang with Florida, especially if Pitts and Tooney get rolling. Uh, might be tough for the dogs. Yeah. No LeCount either at the back end. Yeah. That right. seems like it could cause some problems. Against um, Kyle Pitts, you think? Yeah. Yep. And big test for Monty Rice. It's just so tough because I'm not totally bought into this Florida team. I, I'm I do wonder if good defenses will make Kyle Pitts just not a cheat code and then maybe they don't have the juice. But again, you look at Georgia's offense and it's like, well, you've got to be able to outscore that, right? So I'm going Florida. Oh, man. I was so ready to just take the dogs. <laughs> and you guys have given me a lot to think of. In the year 2020, where any other year I just take the better defense and run, this year, it's a bit of a trickier proposition, especially with the LeCount missing um at the end of the day though you know what Cal Trask don't believe in him against that pass rush against those corners to to make the plays on the run and on the move and make those tight window throws that beating Georgia from the pocket is going to require um and look they're not great on offense but I think they've got the running game. I, I, I like that Bennett kid. I think as an Ian Book type of quarterback, um, he's fine. He'll win you games. And also they're they're allowing they're allowing fans. So that the home factor plays into this one a lot more than just about every other game. Uh, so all that um I'm taking the I'm taking the dogs minus three. You're not a bad pick. Can't really fault no. you for that. No, I mean best defense in the country. You know, I, exactly. we'll see. We'll see if 2020, 2020, I've said in football, we've kind of flipped the old adage of great defense great beats a great offense. This year, early on, without training camp and all that, it's kind of been the opposite. Great offense trumps great defense. I think we'll see that correction as we end in November. Um, and you know, defenses kind of get their bearings a little more. All right, and then, well, it would have been the game of the week. Um, yeah. From a draft standpoint, it probably still is. I mean, it's still got massive playoff implications, but Clemson at Notre Dame isn't the same without Trevor Lawrence. That is absolutely undeniable. Still, though, that a lot to dig into Xavier Thomas against uh, whatever the left tackle pronunciation for Notre Dame is um, Jeremiah with the hyphenated last name. <laughs> yeah. For no, um, Notre Dame against, you know, Etienne in coverage and that great offense and testing um, the, the, the left tackle for Clemson as well is another highly anticipated draft matchup. Jackson Carmen, 
there's a lot to dig in, um, especially after how Clemson looked against BC. So, Henry, start us off. What do you think about this game, buddy? Uh, I wish we had the full teams. I wish yeah. this was just a normal game. I think that's where you have to start. Um, but you, Ugalele, is that did I say that right? Ui Ungalele. Uga Alele. <laughs> the quarterback is going to be a big question mark. And uh, he, honestly, I wasn't impressed by him last week. You know, he didn't look like he was ready. Um, and so I think because of that, uh, it, it's just so hard. It's just so hard. I, I think that Notre Dame plus five and a half. I mean, they don't have Trevor Lawrence. Like, you you have to take Notre Dame, right? I think so. I mean, they couldn't even cover five and a half against Boston College, or I guess they barely covered five and a half against Boston College. Right. But but they didn't cover the spread. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, this game is going to be really fun. I think for this reason, it's kind of a contrasting styles type game. Uh, Notre Dame is really really big, and they can really run the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if book can kind of have that running game going and the pressure's yeah. taken off his shoulders. I really think that Notre Dame is a shot here, especially without Trevor Lawrence. Um, and like we said, uh, this Clemson defense really hasn't kind of lived up to the past defenses that they've had. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think it's possible that Notre Dame can move the ball. Uh, tr- although Travis Etienne, this guy, I know. If it's even possible to improve your stock as much as he, it's crazy how much he's done that just because he was already maybe a top one or two back entering this year. And now he's just, and it's the, all the receiving ability too, which is yeah. the, the best part about it. I mean, he went what seven for 140 last week, which is literally wide receiver one numbers. Right. So he's going to be the X factor, I believe, for Clemson. But I think I'm going to pick Notre Dame to cover. I will pick Clemson to win, though. Okay, I like that. Um, Yeah, because it seems in a lot of ways this Notre Dame matchup is kind of a perfect storm for Clemson. Um, You know, the Jeremiah is going to be great in covering up those RPO runs, which with DJ versus T-Law as your quarterback, they need to rely on that a lot. They are big in the trenches, um, which bodes well for one of the best running teams in the country against a a pretty young and kind of green Clemson line. Um, Not as green as the back seven, which Notre Dame won't be able to test as much as they'd like because Ian book isn't, you know, a surgical passing quarterback, but I think it'll be enough to keep this out an even playing field. I'm kind of with you, Jake. It's a, they covered the Irish cover the spread, but in South bend Clemson just pulls this out. I mean, just and if Notre Dame wins this, get ready because yeah. we have a college football landmine that just went off. And watch out for the debris because it's coming for everyone. Yeah, the Pac 12 is rooting hard for Clemson in this game. No kidding, brother. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, and you know, if Florida, Florida, Georgia is another of those games. I like to say, Henry, we don't need uh, to extend the four, four team playoff because during the regular season, we get these quarterfinal type of games that might as well be playoff games. You know, um, if we did have an expanded playoff, 
teams like Clemson and Notre Dame, teams like Georgia and Florida, they'd be playing eventually. Guess what? You got that matchup in the regular season for all the marbles right then and there. These are massive games with just, you know, even with the opt-outs, we've got NFL matchups across the board. I really think that kind of does it for this week's slate, unless I'm overlooking any hot picks. Um, but I leave the floor to you guys for any final notes. Um, let's take a scan real quick. We've got Miami NC State tonight as well. You know, Derek King, Quincy Roche, Jordan Braven. Uh, those Hurricanes are always fun to watch. And NC State's been good. They, they barely lost to North Carolina. Um, well, not barely, but they lost one of the, their four and two, and one of their losses is to North Carolina, who was rolling until a week ago. Yeah, NC State is frisky. Um, Derek King, I think we've kind of cooled off on him a bit yeah, since yeah. you know, I mean, he was kind of the only guy playing when it was just ACC and SEC going on. Yep. Um, so he has kind of taken a bit of a back seat, but um. Yeah, I mean, just looking through the slate, I can't really see anything that pops out. Do you see anything, Hank? No, I don't. Nothing wrong with that. We got into a lot of games. I'm going to table that mock talk for next week when we've all had a little time to dig in further to some of these prospects we talked about, like Derrishaw. Um, but anyways, it's uh, it's beautiful to have the Pac-12 back, to have the Mountain West back to be able to talk about Trey McBride and all these great prospects. Um, always fun to be able to hop on and do this draft pod, fellas. I thank you for taking the time to do that. And I thank our listeners as well for tuning in and their support, um, which reminds me, I should double check that we don't have any questions. So uh, talk about something while I do that real quick. <laughs> um. I just got to say, Devontae Smith, what a weekend uh, after Jalen Waddle's out for the season. Um, I mean, as if there was any doubt that he was, I mean, I guess maybe a Jerry Judy clone. It's even more so solidified in my mind that this guy will be able to make an impact in the NFL week one uh, next year. I mean, so physical at the line of scrimmage um, when you attack him and press (laughs) – Forget size doesn't matter to this kid because he's just a beast. So physical attacking the ball in the air um, and just so decisive in his movements. I love the kid. Uh, it's going to be hard for him to get out of like the top 15, man. Yeah. Even though he doesn't have those otherworldly tools, those raw tools that'll get you going crazy. I mean, we said it leading into this week big test for him to kind of prove you know where were you riding the coattails of all those guys taking attention off you or are you the real deal who boy is he the real deal and mac jones we like to talk about zach wilson mac jones is kind of an afterthought keeps rising keeps rising keeps rising um, yeah um if i'm not mistaken i think alabama is actually off this weekend so that kind of sucks i think you're right and we don't have any questions this week um that's okay. We still know you're you're there supporting us. We want to remind you, we talk about Drew Locke. We treat everything fairly. I think at about week three, the draft pod became a bit of a lightning rod because, you know, Broncos fans were torn between tanking for Trevor, sticking with Drew Locke. Hey, there's no definitive answers. It's all a voyage that we're navigating and figuring out. 
stay on the voyage with us. We're we're not a lightning rod. We're we're happy to we're happy to analyze both sections of that scenario. Um, so yeah, don't forget about us. Anyways, thanks for tuning in, folks. We will be back next week. Sit Jay on the